Hi, and welcome back to the Pause Podcast. We are on day nine of our 30-day walk through the book of Exodus. And today we're doing Plagues Day 2. Um, so it's sort of, we're doing a zoom through basically of Exodus chapters 7 through 11, which goes into very rich detail yep. in these plagues. Um, and Lindsay yesterday did a great overview of the plagues, and she kind of um, described the why of the plagues and dove into that and explained how a lot of it had to do with the pantheistic Egyptian religion being symbolically dismantled by the God of the Hebrews. Yes. Would you say that's accurate? Yep. That's perfect. Um, And so these chapters, chapter 7 through 11, they describe um, pretty repetitively. It follows a similar pattern um, through these nine plagues. So I don't have them memorized, but you get the blood, uh, the gnats, the flies. Locusts. Locusts, frogs. Yeah, there's some frogs in there. Uh, uh, darkness. darkness. Yep. Um, boils. Yeah. Like um, really palpable darkness. Yeah. Like it's not just night. Isn't it like really thick darkness? Yeah, they say yeah. that you you couldn't see your hand, right? Yes. Or maybe that's from Prince of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I get a blur between what was Prince what of was, Egypt and yeah. what's uh, Holy Scripture. Uh, so they follow a similar pattern where Moses will go to Pharaoh um, or sometimes Pharaoh meets Moses at the river. That's happened a sure, couple of times. Yeah. And Moses will say, hey, let my people go. God commands you to let mm-hmm. his people go out into the wilderness to worship him. And every time Pharaoh's like, absolutely not. And so then Moses is like, okay. So the plague will come on. Um, and as the Egyptians are in the midst of this plague, whatever suffering it is, like you know, frogs or gnats or flies, they'll all be freaking out. And then Pharaoh will call for Moses and he'll be like, okay, okay, fine. I relent. You guys can go. If you ask your God to remove this plague, then I'll let you go. And so Moses, every time, nine times in a row, is like, okay, calls it off. And immediately Pharaoh changes his mind. Every single time he'll say, just kidding. You can't go. Um, And this happens nine times in a row. Um, and so then we get to the plague of the firstborn mm-hmm. and that is significant in that, um, it's not just the Egyptians that are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. God warns the Hebrews this, and that's in chapter 12, 12, yeah. that he, he gives this warning Yeah, and we'll go over that later. Yeah. So, um, that's the plagues. And while I love what you described in theory, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting and cool and symbolic that. God is sort of going head to head, um, showing up to make it clear that he's He's in it to win it for his people. I have always mm-hmm. been so uncomfortable with the mm-hmm. plagues. I just don't like them. And it took me a while to even write this episode because I was so uncomfortable. I kept looking for an angle that I was like, oh, that would be good. That would make me feel better. Like that would explain this away. And then I realized like, oh, maybe that's what I should write about is how uncomfortable yeah, I am. That's good. Um, because one of our goals with this podcast mm-hmm. from the beginning has been to enable and model an achievable daily quiet time with God. Mm-hmm. And for me, at least, that that really only became sustainable mm-hmm. when I allowed myself to be transparent in that quiet time, yeah. in my own quiet time. So to tell God the things that irritate me or to ask him about stuff that doesn't seem to really line up with who he says he is. And not even necessarily to like make it right and solve the puzzle, but just to be known and heard. Mm. Um, but isn't that kind of what we all want? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
We want to be able to talk about difficult stuff without the other person being like, oh, let me just explain to you why this isn't such a big deal. Mm. Like, or um, when people are like, oh, let me fix this for you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when you're complaining about something yes. and you're like, that's not what that's I not need. That's not what I'm asking. That's, that's not, not what, what I need, need right now. Yeah. Yep. Um, so for me, mm-hmm. this is what I've been like sort of complaining to God about. The plagues, to me, they just feel petty. Mm-hmm. Like I get what God's doing here, or at least I think I do. I understand that this is sort of this epic showdown between these power structures in history it's between God's first or God's first history's mm-hmm. first full scale empire that was built on slavery, which is what Egypt is. And between God who says, I'm here on behalf of this small group of powerless oppressed people, which is what we talked about yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's really beautiful. And I love that. And I get that it has this structure of sort of like a classic good guy, bad guy story, like a superhero story. Um, But here's my complaints. I have a whole list. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, would any of this have been necessary if God hadn't waited so long to show up? Hmm. Like why wait until a full scale evil empire is like fully established and oppressing your people and like full in their might before popping by to overthrow it? Hmm. Like I read the verses about God's people crying out to him in mm-hmm. generations of slavery. And I'm like, okay, but like maybe you could have nipped this in the bud. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. These that's are just question. my questions. No, it's good. Um, secondly, why involve everyone? I think that's what bothers me too. It's like Pharaoh's the one, like he's the one we have a bone to pick with, right? Mm. Like he's the one being a turd. He's the one causing all the problems. I feel like if God had taken it to a vote and been like, hey, Egyptians, <laughs> like... <laughs> Should we, let like he- yeah. should we let the Hebrews go <laughs> or do you guys want boils mm. and frogs and gnats and blood in your river? And they would be like, oh my gosh, let them go. Yeah, like, we're cool. Yeah. They're building all these things for Pharaoh, not for us. Mm. It's like in school when somebody would get in trouble and the whole class got in trouble. Yeah. Like if a kid, I don't know, in an example, like yeah. talk during a test or something and yeah. then everybody Now you all have penalized. to put your heads down on your desk. Yes. Be quiet. And you're like, oh, we hate that kid. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that was it. They're like, the teachers were like, oh yeah, if you hate him, he'll stop doing this. <laughs> it's peer pressure. <laughs> oh yeah. Which ironically sort of happens in the story. Like you hear at some point, mm-hmm. even Pharaoh's advisors are like, dude. <laughs> Just let them go. <laughs> Where's that? Come like they on. say something like Egyptian. They say something like Egypt is destroyed, mm. and he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> um. So I don't. I just. I don't get why mm-hmm. everyone has to suffer. Mm-hmm. Like, why not just go head to head with Pharaoh, or mm. like somehow with these Egyptian deities? Mm. Instead, it's like the Egyptian people. They just feel like collateral damage. Mm. It feels like on The Incredibles. Are you familiar with The Incredibles? Yes. Not super. I'm not like super versed in it. I've seen it like once. Okay. I'm not a huge Incredible fan. I've seen it like 37 times. Oh, okay. (laughs) But that's just because I have have young kids. I never saw the second one. It's not as good as the first. I'll just say say that. Good. Um, And that's just my theory on sequels, as you know. Oh, The only sequel worth seeing is Sister Act 2. Every other sequel... Who cares? I think Toy Story Three is oh up interesting there as well. I would be willing to listen to that argument. Yeah, maybe not right now though. Would you consider? Sorry, <laughs> yeah, this is not right now. Would you consider a trilogy a sequel? No, 
Okay, so Lord of the Rings and all that. Doesn't well, that happen. was like a preset thing. You know what I mean? It's true. Most sequels out there, they're like sort of this afterthought, afterthought. of like, let's make a little more money. Yeah. Okay. I, don't even get me started on the Land Before Time series. Uh, don't get me started on the Land Before Time series. That movie's the greatest movie of all time. And they made 15. Well, the first was the greatest yes. movie of all time. They what made about it to by, the land. By 15, you're like, all right. Talk about an exodus. How many more tree stars can we find, right? They made it to the promised land. <laughs> Talk about an exodus. <laughs> the tree stars. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with their sister act too. Reference. Anyway, the Incredibles. Okay, getting back to the Incredibles. So if you remember, there's like this. Here's a spoiler. Just gonna warn you. If you haven't seen it, it's been out for 20 it. years. Easily. Yeah. Right. Easily. I don't right? know what year. It Anyways, is. there's this kid in the beginning, and he's like this huge fan of Mr. Incredible, and he, he wants to help him. And Mr. Incredible is like, "No, get out of here," and rejects him. So this kid grows up to be this villain named Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> what a dumb villain name. I know, right? So he creates a robot. Syndrome creates this robot to wreak havoc on the city. And he, mm-hmm. he has this whole plan that he's going to send the robot into the city. And then he he created the robot so that only he can control it. So then he's going to swoop in and quote, unquote, save them from the robot by dismantling it with the preset controls he already had. So then he gets mm. to be the hero because he never got to be when he was little. Okay. So he's just like a little bit messed up that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like God's doing where he's like, I'm just going to like set it up so that I, so that I look like I'm mm. swooping in here. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It just feels a little petty mm. to me. Okay. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to take them all down to mm. show that you're more powerful? Why can't you just go head to head with Pharaoh? Mm. So speaking of Pharaoh... I'm almost done with my rant. This is good. Speaking of Pharaoh, I feel like he is like a full-on pawn in the whole situation. Like, I get it that he's evil. Like, he's Mm -hmm. obviously evil. Mm -hmm. But is it really fair to punish him when it says right in the text that God plans, like, from the beginning to Mm. harden Pharaoh's heart? Mm. And it's like, that's a much longer discussion. I get that. Like, the play in Plagues 1 through 5, the verbs say that his heart was hard. Or that Pharaoh himself hardened it. So like that's mm-hmm. him being stubborn. Yeah. But then from the sixth plague onward, the verb says that God hardened it. Mm. There's more on this. Um, the Bible Project has yeah. like a really interesting discussion yeah. on that that I'll link out to. Um, but yeah, like even the advisors were like, let him go. We have nothing left. And they're probably like, are you insane? Why are you letting this happen? But from the sixth plague onward, it's like, he's not insane. He's just like divinely hard-hearted. Like God's the one <laughs> forcing him to be this stubborn. Yeah. I don't know. That just yeah. rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, lastly, the plague of the firstborn. I hate this. Mm. It's just, it's, I don't know if it's because I have kids, but like it's just chilling. Mm. And it seems, it feels hypocritical to me because the events that seemingly got God so riled up at the beginning of the story mm. A few, just a few chapters yep. before, is that Pharaoh's killing the Hebrew male babies. So it's awful when Pharaoh does it, but then a few chapters later, when an angel comes through and starts killing babies, kids, teenagers, whoever is the firstborn in the family, mm-hmm. then it's fine. Mm. Like for the sake of symbolism? I don't know. I just like, ugh, I hate that. And the only difference, of course, mm-hmm. is that for the plague of the firstborn, God offers a way out with this last plague. It's the only plague where he offers some sort of like escape route, which of course is like this huge symbolism with Passover, Jesus. And we'll get into that in the Passover episode. 
but I just like, I don't know. We get to the place. I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable even physically just talking about it. Yeah, it's good. And I just wanted to get all my rants out because here's Mm -hmm. the truth that I didn't know for a long time. It's possible to be messy and devoted at the same time. We're talking about this the other day. It's possible to hold doubts and devotion in the same heart. Yes. It's possible and actually applauded by God who calls Mm -hmm. David the most famous of all messy devotees. That's why I love David. He calls God a man after his, he calls David a man after his own heart. Yes. So it's possible to get angry and incredulous and confused and irritated by scripture and to still know that God is good and that we are loved and that faith is mysterious and complex and difficult. Amen. That's a big statement. Well, I didn't know that for a long time. So I would hesitate to say things like this. Like this makes me angry. That seems petty. Yes. that seems ridiculous. That seems mm-hmm. out of line with who God says he is. What's up with that? How can you really believe something if you haven't really examined it? Yeah. Maybe. Or why would you want to devote yourself to something that you can fully like fit into your own little brain and have all sorted out and understood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Why mm-hmm. would I want to devote myself to a God that I fully understood that I was like, no, I got you. Like We're on the yeah. same page. <laughs> Which is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. But that being said... I actually have like a few comforts and resources that I feel like as I've been wrestling with this, that God brought my way as I was endlessly ranting to him about this. So the Bible project, we keep talking about it, Mm -hmm. um, but they had this um, Q&A. It's pretty old, but this Q&A about Exodus on their YouTube channel, and you can listen to it on their podcast too. Um, And I learned a lot from that. Um, they have a question specifically about the plague of the firstborn. And Tim Mackey himself is like, it makes me so uncomfortable. It's mm. one of my least favorite sections of scripture. So that made me feel good. I'm like, all right, he's uncomfortable <laughs> too. But I learned so much there. Um, a lot of like the higher level research and symbolism that I just like, I wouldn't have known on my own. So in this um, Bible project Q&A, um, they were pointing out that while a lot, a lot of the information about the plagues feels sort of... Um, like foreign mm-hmm. to us culturally and symbolically. We're like, okay, interesting, but that feels so far off. We do understand what an oppressive or genocidal yep. dictator looks like. Mm-hmm. We've seen that before in the world. And in modern negotiations, we wouldn't give a person like that 10 chances to free their people. Mm, like when Joseph good. Coney yeah. was doing his thing, yeah. we weren't like, okay, stop. Yep. And he's like, we wouldn't go back and forth 10 times. Be like, oh man, he's still killing them. (laughs) He's still enslaving them. Yeah. You would shut it down. Yeah. So God's, yeah. yeah, So I thought that that was an interesting point that in a way, God's plan for Pharaoh, as weird as it is and as sometimes Mm. petty as it seems to me, is actually like very oddly merciful. Mm. Like 10 chances is a lot of chances. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I never even thought of it that way. That's cool. Um, And if you have ever listened to anything that the Bible Project puts out, you know that Tim Mm -hmm. Mackey is big on literary motifs and patterns and poetry and symbolism in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. So he points out that the Exodus story becomes an archetype for this narrative that we see repeated throughout the whole Old Testament as God confronts evil. Time and time again, God brings destruction and oppression upon empires that destroy and oppress. Mm. So this actually, it's so like yep. you see this throughout the Old Testament. Yep. Um, God's people will come acro- uh, mm-hmm. upon this empire and God's like, stop treating people this way. I'm going to treat you that way. 
So this is what people assumed that the Messiah would bring. Like, this is what they were expecting from Jesus. They were like, look how oppressive the Roman Empire is. So they were like looking back on history and they're like rubbing their hands together. Like, oh, sweet. He's going to destroy. The Messiah is going to give Mm -hmm. them what they've given us. They they assumed that Jesus would take down the Roman Empire the way that God took down the Egyptian Empire. They were like, we have a pattern for this. Sweet. Yep. We the Messiah is going to come. Yep. That's why they thought he would be this revolutionary. Yeah. But I love this. Jesus says, no, 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 like, I'm not the plague. I'm the lamb. Mm. Which, actually, I guess we didn't explain that. In the plague of the firstborn, if you've never heard this story before, mm-hmm. God tells them, and we'll go into this in the yeah, Passover next chapter. Episode, God yeah. tells them, you'll be passed over by this, mm-hmm. this angel that's going to kill all the firstborn. You'll be passed over if you kill a lamb and you paint the the doorpost of your house mm-hmm. with the blood. Yep. And so everyone's expecting Jesus to be the the avenging angel, basically. They're expecting mm-hmm. Jesus to be the plague that destroys the Roman Empire. And he's like, no, 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 I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb. I'm yeah, like, I'm, I'm the mercy, I'm yep. the way out. That's and a, I just love that Jesus yeah. ends, like yeah. in his lifetime, Jesus ends this centuries mm-hmm. long cycle of retrib- yeah. retribution. Yeah of oppression being mm-hmm. treated with oppression, of yeah. destruction being treated with destruction. Jesus is like, nope, this stops here. Yeah. That's my favorite thing about Jesus. Same. That he was a different, he was not what they expected. Mm-hmm. And he was a different kind of king or savior in a situation. And he it's continues to be yeah. what people don't expect. Yep. Ah, so, good. so that at the end, like to come full circle on it, while I don't understand... I don't always understand the God of the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. I don't always understand the symbolism in mm-hmm. his choices and his actions. Yep. I don't fully understand the theology behind sure. why he does this, some of the things he does. Yep. The gospel will always make sense to me. Mm. Amen. And maybe that's kind of the point mm. that like that the world was aching and groaning for some sort of reason or sense to all of it. And the back and forth just felt felt. To me, it feels senseless and petty. I can't even imagine living through right. it. And then Jesus comes. Like mm. after all this history of this senseless, awful back and forth that we're like, how does this make sense? Jesus is like, like I'm here. Enter Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's I love so good. That. Yep. He's the only thing that really makes sense to me. Most of the time. Jesus. Yeah. Yep. When it's all swirling around, he's the real deal. That's what I feel. Oh, that rhymed. He's the real deal. That's what I feel. <laughs> Dr. Seuss, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, let's do some discussion questions. So do you feel comfortable fully expressing yourself in conversation with God? Mm-hmm. Or do you feel like certain emotions and reactions are off limits? So um, I read this book last year. It was a C.S. Lewis book, and it's called Till We Have Faces. I love that book. <gasps> Do you? I didn't know you read that last year. Yeah, I loved it. And so you may, maybe can help. It's I'm not going to describe the whole thing, but there's like a scene at the end where one of the characters presents her complaints, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so when you said complaints in here, like triggered, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. do I have faces? And she reads this scroll or mm-hmm. this like um, whatever. She reads her complaints. and To when, the gods. To the gods, right? yes, yeah. yes. And then when she finishes... Um, the gods are like, do you have your answer? And she says, yes. Oh, it gives me chills. And there's, I like sobbed when I read this <laughs> because it's like the, to be heard 
was the answer, right? Yeah. Is like the complaint was the answer kind of thing. Yeah, she says something about, I'm going to botch this quote, Me too. but she says like, something like, all my life I've been moving towards this mountain. Because she, yes. she goes up to this mountain yes. to make yep. her complaint. Yes. And then she realizes that her journey to the mountain was, was the, answer the answer she needed all Yes. Along. And I like didn't really realize like my response to that was so, it, it felt like someone was putting words to tension I felt. Mm. Um, and so... It was really beautiful. If you haven't read that book, I would encourage you to read it. I um, will say though, like if I if we had to do like a reading rainbow about this book, yes, I would be like, it's excellent. Everyone should yes. read it, but go into it knowing it's not like any other C.S. Lewis no. book you would read. Yes, it's not like the Narnia fiction that's really allegorical, yeah, and it's not like um, like the Great Divorce or mm-hmm. um, Screw Tape Letters Christianity where yep. it's where it's theology and mm-hmm. apologetics. Yep, it's a it's like some of his scholarly work, I guess. It's like sort of this like whimsical scholarly work. Yeah. He rewrites um, um, a classic Greek, Greek mythology myth. I don't I'm know which one. completely forgetting yeah. the name of it. Um, so he sort of like fictionalizes mm-hmm. this Greek myth. Yes. And yes. it's really good. It's really but good. But I remember starting to read it and being like, wait, what? What yeah. is like, what is he trying to teach us about God? He's not. Really, yeah. At least for most of the story, sure. it's an actual story. Story, yep. But it's also not like Narnia, where you're like, "This is linear." Yes, <laughs> it's like no. It's but it's the ending really was, beautiful. Yeah, the ending was incredibly powerful. There's like a chapter where I was like, "I am this woman," or "I am this character." <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I think like that's what came to my mind as you were talking about like presenting complaints, but realizing yeah. that like actually the journey and being able to express it. Because the gods weren't like, okay, now we'll go and answer all of your questions, yeah. you know? And so, and she realizes that she doesn't necessarily need that, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a lot of context to that. But um, yeah, I think I feel comfortable expressing myself to God. Um, I don't feel like anything's off limits. Um, but I don't think I'd always been that way. Mm. I think there is a time where I was like, um, and I think that comes through recognizing my own emotion and that how I feel is good. You know what I mean? Like that kind of process. But um, anyway, I would be like struggling or feeling a certain way or questioning something. But then I, in my prayer time, I'd be like, Hey God, doing good. Yeah. yeah, Hanging in there, you know, and then realizing that um, changing my view of, of what prayer is too, you know, and Mm -hmm. prayer can be intimate and authentic. Um, So yeah, I, I don't, this is a good question. I think I do feel comfortable, but hadn't always been that way. Yeah. You know? So Yeah. I'm kind of processing what you just shared with like, I think that applies to the process of me writing this episode. Mm -hmm. I was like, not knowing what to write because I was like, well, obviously I can't just write all these complaints that I have. Mm. That would be child. I think I thought it was be like childish Mm. or something. Um, And then I was thinking about our mission and was like, oh, Mm. maybe that's exactly what I should write about. But I thought it would kind of be... I thought what it would end up, I thought the way that the episode would sort of wrap would be sort of like a, just a catharsis, that it would be like, all right, I got all my complaints out and God still loves me mm. type of thing. But yeah. I think it's closer to what you said. Mm. It's a little more um, full circle than that, that it's sure, like yeah. in my complaining and writing of this episode, right. I sort of realized that like the process, like this process mm-hmm. of wrestling mm-hmm is what creates a relationship and it's what creates a deep and authentic relationship. That's that's good. With God. And it was it wasn't just me being like, oh thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Right. It was like, no, that creates 
that creates intimacy. Like when someone yes. comes to you and is like, can I just tell you about my day? Like yes. mm-hmm. I really could just like use someone to talk to mm-hmm. at the end of it. It's not just that they unloaded on you. It's that you like, there was mm-hmm. space shared between mm-hmm. you Yeah, and that like you listened to them and you held space for them yep. and they were able to be vulnerable with you. That creates relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Or if somebody is like, um, Hey, I, I don't understand why you did that or I'm feeling mm-hmm. confused. Yeah. Doesn't that create better connection? Yeah. You know, right. at least for me, you know, and for us to be able to have a conversation, and whether yeah. that's conflict or not, you yeah. know, but just it creates deeper connection, I think. No, so, I think you're right. Because then, at least for me, when someone wants to, like, comes mm-hmm. to me, even if it feels like a conflict, wanting to understand, like, hey, I thought it was, like, kind of crappy when you did that. Sure. Can you explain why you made that yes. choice? Yep. Even if it's a conflict, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? Like, thank you for mm-hmm. for trying to understand who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank you for not yes. just assuming that I'm like selfish yeah. or whatever yeah. for like yep. seeking to push it further. Yep. And like, it's such a um, it's such a compliment when someone's like, explain yeah. explain to me who yeah. you are. You trust someone more. Yeah. Right. And get that. Yeah. They, and that they're giving you an opportunity yep. to explain who you are. Yep. Yeah, and like that creates an intimacy, intimacy. with God when, mm-hmm. when we're like, ex- why, explain to me why you would do that with Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And like not even that he would necessarily give me this like prepackaged answer and like, here, now you'll understand everything. Yeah. But just that I'm like, well, as I understand you, it's this. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm, oh, you're good. right. I am like that. Ah, uh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Cool. Okay. Um, Question two, if you could go back in time and ask Farrell one question, what would it be? <laughs> this was more just a fun question. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if this is like one question, but my first thought is like, I just want to get to know you, Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to know why people do the, the things that they do as like yeah. a psychological analysis. Isn't it Mr. Rogers who's like, there's nobody that you couldn't love once you heard their story. Yeah, and I'm like, like I just want to love you. Yeah, I just want to get to know you. Like, what what was your childhood like? You know, I'd like kind of go back and see how he came to be the way he is. Yeah. So um, that's what I would do. <laughs> that's just my first have thought. Have a little chat. Take yeah. Take him out for coffee. Yeah. What would you say? What would you ask? Um, I don't know because I think I would want to know like how much of it. And I guess maybe this isn't something he could answer. It'd be more a question for God. Like how much of your like absurd stubbornness was just like your personality or your pride or whatever. Mm -hmm. And how much of it was this sort of like mysterious quote unquote God hardening your heart? Cause there's people that we all know someone that were like, your stubbornness is like, it makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. You will destroy yourself before you give in on this. And that's stupid. Yes. Like, is he, was he just one of those people where you're like, oh my gosh, give it up. Yeah. Yeah. Are you that narcissistic? Are you that? Sure. Are you that prideful that you really are going to let your whole country burn to the ground before you'll let your slave labor go? Yeah. Or is like at one, at one point, is it like, no, he just was like, he was just like part of God's plan. Yeah. That's a good question. Sounds like a question for God, not Pharaoh. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, no, I'm right. just kidding. <laughs> okay, let's move into the meditation. So we're gonna, um, like, I guess, f- dive further into this authentic relationship mm. with God we've been talking about. So 
we're going to get really still and quiet. We're going to do a guided prayer today. Um, So we're going to get quiet and still in the presence of God. So let's start off by taking a couple of deep breaths. Get comfortable wherever you're sitting. Uncross your limbs if you find that helps. Relax your jaw. And as we turn our attention inward, let's just check in with ourselves. Have we brought our full authentic selves into prayer today? Let's acknowledge any withholding on our part. The pieces of ourselves that we don't welcome into this space or into communion with God and others. Our pain, our shame, our apathy, our anxiety, our grief, our anger, our doubts. From the beginning of time, we humans have fallen for the lie that we can and should present a limited version of ourselves. And since the beginning of time, God has been in the business of fiercely pursuing the fullness of us. Healing relationships start with authenticity. So let's take a few moments in silence now to invite the Holy Spirit to attend to those hidden parts of ourselves and to remind us that we are welcomed in full.
God of love, we confess that there are parts we leave at the door because we assume your love to be conditional. Thank you for reminding us of who you are and who we are. Thank you for your safety. Thank you that you are bigger than our mess and that you are in the business of making us whole in Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you're looking for show notes to follow up on any references we may have shared, you can find those in the episode description or by going to our website at www.thepausepodcast.com, where you can also find links to our social media, along with a handy guide to subscribing or leaving a review. Thanks for listening.